0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: Boy, what a beautiful day. I'm looking out of the window here at St. Yubits Cathedral, and it's one of those blue, blue, blue sky days. But It's going to get chilly tonight. I hope Newell Norman is enjoying his time in the out of doors this week, and I'm happy to have you join us. This hour, we've got a subject that we're going to be talking about called swatting. Now that's something I do when I'm on the boat, and the gnats and the mosquitoes and the sandflies come around. That's one t- use of the term swatting. But there's also another. And it's fairly recently this has come about, and it's actually it's a, a, a very dangerous criminal hoax. And this is where some false report is made to the police or law enforcement agency for the express purpose of luring them to a location they're led there to believe a horrific crime maybe a mass shooting a bombing uh, a suicide a hostage taking something like that is in progress what ends up happening is the swat team raids a completely innocent and unaware person or group of people that is known as swatting it's becoming more and more prevalent and joining us to talk more about it is dr alex del carmen Uh, He's a criminologist, heads up the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University in Fort Worth. Dr. Carmen, welcome aboard. Thanks for joining us.
3: Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, This is Alex Hammerstone. I am a security uh, consultant with Trust Effect.
2: Oh, okay. I had the wrong Alex then. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you're certainly qualified to talk about swatting. Tell us what what you know about it. How was this pulled off and how frequently does it happen?
3: So it's something that is, is, it seems to be pulled off more often just from following the news. You know, there's not necessarily a, um, a specific crime category for it, so it can be tough to track. But certainly, you know, if you're watching the news, you're, you're seeing it pop up more and more. And it's been around a while now, um, but it used to really be kind of limited to kind of online gamers and um, you know people that spend a lot of time online. And they would, you know, the, the goal originally was to try to get the SWAT team or the police to show up while somebody was live streaming uh, online. Um, and it was also, of course, you know, used to retaliate against people they didn't like and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's it's really spreading now. And we're seeing it a lot with you know public figures and politicians now and, and judges and, and other people. Um, but it, it really is a, a fairly straightforward thing to pull off. Um, if you look at. You know, a lot of the kind of spam calls we get and everything else, you'll see that it's pretty easy to spoof a telephone number, right? Um, it's very easy to hide, you know, who you are when you call somebody. And so what they'll do is they'll call 911 or just as commonly non-emergency numbers, because that's easier, and make a claim that, you know, something's going on at a, a certain address, um, you know, all the time a hostage situation or that there's been a murder or a bomb threat or so on and so forth in order to get the police to show up. Um, And, and, you know, it can become a very dangerous situation very quickly. Well, sure,
2: Uh, from both parties. For the SWAT team that goes out because the person inside is unaware of what this is all about and what's going on, they may choose to try to defend themselves. And, of course, for the SWAT team, you know, it's also uh, risky that if someone – uh, shows up with a firearm, unaware of what they're doing. there that, that, that could be a lot of bad ways this thing could end up. There's been also a lot of high-profile cases of this. I know the Secretary of State of Maine uh, got targeted with swatting after she took Donald Trump off the ballot in, in the state of Maine, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think she holds the record for having the, the most attempts at swatting there.
3: Yeah, it looks that way, and, and you know, you're and you're seeing judges on you know other cases, you know, be targeted with this. And I think one of the things is it, again, it's really a very simple thing for criminals to pull off, right? Um, it's it, you know I, I don't want to minimize kind of the effort, but but it's really similar to kind of calling and ordering a pizza to be delivered to somebody's house, you know, and a, an old prank. Except this certainly is not a prank and can have much worse consequences.
2: How exactly do they pull this off without getting caught? Are, are they being caught and not just being identified or exposed in the media? Because I don't hear very much. I hear about the swatting but not much about the perpetrators being brought to justice. How are they pulling this off without being detected?
3: So there have been cases where where people have been caught doing this. Um, You know, there was a a pretty well-known case um, a a number of years ago uh, where there was a a swatting incident in Kansas that led to someone being killed by the police, Um, and and that uh, person was was prosecuted, I think they ended up with about a 20-year sentence. Uh, But it's tough, right, because, you know, even if if we can track down people, um, the resources oftentimes aren't available and you know a lot of the the ways to kind of hide who you are they're very simple they're very freely available um and and it can be tough you know number one to find the resources just to kind of you know track down this many people and you know oftentimes with technology it is very easy to hide yourself uh, very well um and so those create a lot of challenges you know not just to finding these people but then prosecuting who's doing it
2: the prosecutions is this done on a statewide basis i mean this would clearly be considered, I guess, domestic terrorism and maybe the Fed should be brought in and make it a federal ch- crime.
3: So there have been a couple, you know, laws introduced at the federal level of, you know, in 2015, 2019 and, and 2021 that didn't pass. There was another law introduced uh, this week, you know, to, to work to make this a federal crime and, and kind of add some consequence. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that's just, you know, I think a, a fact of life is, you know, when these types of things start to happen more often to, you know, politicians and, and so on and so forth, it probably becomes more likely that we get a law against it, um, even though they've been happening for a while to others.
2: Are there any cases that have been brought to trial, prosecuted, and sentenced that you know of?
3: So the the, the main one is, is what happened in Kansas, um, you know, that resulted in the death. But certainly, you know, this, as I said, this is something that's fairly common um, or, or much more common than we'd like, you know, throughout the country. And these things are are generally, you know, prosecuted at a local level or a a county or state level, depending on where you are, or a parish level. Um, And so, again, because it's not a distinct crime category, you know, we can kind of look through news stories and and see when people have been caught doing this. Um, I will say one of the things I I know when we see that involves kind of a spoofed phone number, um, oftentimes it's the criminal kind of bragging about it or, you know, telling other people what they've done. That, that, that leads to them getting caught. So p- people certainly are getting caught on them, uh, but I don't have statistics around that. How much
2: intimidation factor do you think comes into play? You know, the, a lot of the people that are target are uh, elected or appointed uh, government officials, they're judges. Uh, the fact that they're hearing about this and think they may become the next one, how much intimidation do you think comes into play where maybe they will refrain from taking action on something for fear of becoming a swatting victim?
3: Well, I'd, I'd imagine a lot of people in positions of power like that, you know, get a lot of threats through other means as well. And, you know, hopefully, you know, law enforcement's aware of that and can kind of make sure that these don't, you know, allow people to be intimidated. Um, you know, certainly we'd hope that people don't let, uh, you know, kind of terrorists and criminals intimidate them in that way. Um, you know, it, it's tough, too, because, you know, sometimes, you know, as uh, this becomes more known, more police departments are aware of it. But I would certainly encourage anyone who's a public figure, um, you know, to make sure that they kind of talk to local law enforcement, understand, you know, their awareness to swatting and kind of understand what the process looks like to kind of validate a threat and, you know, make sure that they're not kind of rolling in, you know, guns blazing, uh, but they're really going to kind of investigate it, you know, as it unfolds.
2: So do you think there's also uh, what they used to call the Ferguson effect, where uh, the members of the SWAT team will go in not quite as, well, I don't know if they can go in not quite as alert as they should be, but thinking that maybe this is a, a prank call, maybe it's been a repeat uh, uh, location, uh, they're kind of pretty sure that it is, and maybe it would prevent them from doing their best work.
3: So I think it's it's important that, that people do consider that it could be a prank. Um, but, you know, it, it's, just t- it's tough to say, right, because that comes down to every single individual and how they're approaching any situation. Um, you know, but certainly we would hope there's always a measured approach, right, when you receive kind of anonymous phone call, um, you know, that, that purports that something happened. You know, a lot of these do come in through the 911 system, but, you know, when you're spoofing a number, it's much easier to call the non-emergency number or even use TTY, right, which is you know, available for people with hearing impairment. And so I think, you know, making sure that police departments, you know, especially vet anything that comes through kind of non-emergency numbers or TTY um but but yes i mean it's just something that's gonna be very important to kind of consider and you know law enforcement tactics just being aware um you know of of these spoofs and i think that um you know that's gonna be something that's just gonna be really important to continue to consider
2: so what do you think is the the solution to to solving this problem to keep it from
3: getting on the rise so i think any like anything else it's, it's Faceted right. Um, you know, I, I am not um, uh, one to usually recommend additional laws and regulations, but, you know, certainly, you know, making sure that this is something that's able to be prosecuted very easily, um, you know, making sure that people are punished when they do it. Um, from a technical standpoint, um, you know, there's certain things that are, are in flight um, to kind of make it continue to be more difficult to spoof numbers. Um, but those could be challenging as well. Uh, so I think it's going to be a combination of kind of technical um, solutions, um, you know, uh, enforcement solutions, and also just continuing to really make sure that we educate, you know, police departments uh, that this is a risk and this is something that's happening and, and kind of thinking through it. But it really is tough to stop it, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, we've certainly seen the advent of caller ID, Obviously, a lot of, you know, kind of prank calls and, and other things. And, you know, hopefully there'll be some technical solutions for this as well.
2: We're talking with Alex Hammerstone with Advisory Solutions. He's the director at Trusted Sec. Uh, Alex, I I got a a listener that just texted in a message and said, perhaps the true crime is the government forcing itself onto private property without an investigation. Um, Should there be exceptions for SWAT teams to not have to delay their tactics or their their approach waiting for uh, court order, you know, uh, an investigation before they go in? How do you – live with that? I mean, there's a very fine line between, uh, you know, privacy rights and also going in uh, to, to, you know, enforce the law properly.
3: So I think that, that's obviously a tough question. And, and um, but really, I mean, I think police, you know, since, you know, probably the dawn of time, if I kind of have the ability to when there's an active situation, right? I mean, if, if somebody's committing a crime on, you know, on, on private property, and you know, life is in danger, you know, the police generally are going to re- react to that. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, probably the way it's going to to be and remain. Of course.
2: Well, Alex, thanks for taking some time and talking about this uh, serious situation and uh, looking. Oh, wait, say that again. Oh, okay. Someone
3: wants to know who pays for the
2: damages. Good question.
3: So these are expensive incidents, right? I mean, it's the other estimates between, you know, 10 plus, you know, per times they kind of send out the SWAT team and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it, it, I think a lot of times it just falls the municipality, you know, whoever's funding, you know, whether it's a regional SWAT team or a local SWAT team or what have you, it, it tends to fall on kind of the law enforcement budget. Um, you know, you can certainly imagine that, you know, police departments, if they do prosecute somebody, you know, for doing this, they try to call that money back. But I can't imagine a lot of people who are perpetrating these things, you know, have a, a ton of money available for that either. So, you know, as of now, you know, like any other police response, it generally is going to fall on the, the, the municipality.
2: Yeah, well, good luck on collecting anything from perpetrators. I don't think that's a a good source of revenue to overcome those costs. Alex, thanks for uh, taking some time to chat with us. We really appreciate it and bringing uh, this to light, this, this very dangerous criminal activity known as swatting. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. When we come back after this, we'll return to our open lines. uh, uh, The Oakland Heart Jewelers talking text line 504-260-1870. Got a lot of topics we covered this morning. If you'd like to weigh in on them, you're welcome to do so. We'll be right back after this pause. You're listening to WWL. I'm Don Dubuque filling in for Newell Norman on the Newell Norman Show on the Big 870.
0: Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
4: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: All right, got a couple interesting texts. This one says, I think if you want to hunt the black bears, you should only be able to use a knife. Very interesting concept there. Um, But you know what? There would be at least 10 people applying for tags that would take that on if that's all they could use was a knife. Believe me. Right, we also have this one. Uh, someone took exception to me using the term pardon for John Bell Edwards. They said John Bell Edwards did not pardon 40 murderers. He commuted, shortened, that's in parentheses, life sentences of certain prisoners who then need to be approved by the parole board before being released. Each prisoner had to meet specific criteria to get the commutation, and the parole board evaluates each of them. Uh, I don't know how you shorten what is a mandatory life sentence, never heard of that, but he says, or she, maybe you don't, but the law allows it. More importantly, he did not pardon anyone, so stop using that word, it's not factual. It is indeed factual, that's exactly what he did, was he pardoned murderers who had gotten life sentences, and he allowed them to go back to society. That is called a pardon, and as far as the pardon board, uh, I contest that that board should be made up of at least some people who are relatives of victims of these criminals. Uh, you heard Kay. She, she talked about what their family went through. They were given 10 minutes to testify at a pardon board uh, meeting in, when, in which they got to address them, but didn't make any difference. Their minds were made up. I think uh, certainly a lot more consideration to the victims' views and the families, the survivors of those victims who are speaking for people from the grave should be considered in making pardoning decisions. All right, let's go to some callers. we got Tim over in Hammond. Hey, Tim, good morning. Thanks for your call.
5: Hey, Dom, good morning. How you doing? I'm okay. Or good afternoon, I guess. Yeah, it's afternoon already. <laughs> hey, thanks Thanks for giving some time to this issue. Uh, let me just tell you real quick. I, I am a, a chaplain in a women's prison, um, so I've been there for about seven years. From my perspective since I've been there has changed completely. I probably have uh, you know kind of the opinion a lot of people had about you, know, you lock up the key, and you throw them, you throw it away. Um, and I, I, uh, I heard your comments a minute ago. Uh, uh, so yeah I, I think that the process, you know, and I'm, I'm fairly qualified I think to talk on as I've been there, is it, it, it starts with them getting a, they get a date. They go before a board, I believe of five. they need four votes to be pardon to, to be considered for a pardon and then the governor signs that. I know, at least for a number of the women that I have known and know their stories, that uh, it took after they, the, the board granted that, the, the governor, in some cases, took two or three years to sign that. So it, it, it is a very deliberate uh, process protracted. the governor, uh, I, I firmly believe, gives a lot of thought to this. And there are, when they go before the board, the victims' families are allowed to speak. And a lot of times that influences it. And the board has turned them down uh, quite often based on that testimony. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just believe and I, um, I find that the, the recidivism or, or the, the threat of violence, somebody being released, is somebody who's been convicted of a, a, a lot of these murders are one time offenses, you know, in the, in the heat of passion, anger, whatever. And I firmly believe in what I know about the ladies who have been released. Um, there, there is very little threat to society. So I, I am certainly in favor. I'm, I applaud the governor for doing it. I know a lot of people. And maybe if I was a victim or was a member, a family member of a victim, I would feel differently about this. But I think this is where society has to step in. And after somebody has been incarcerated for 20, 25, 30, 35 years, that, um, you know, that there has to be some mercy, you know, in that system and, and uh, you know, as long as, there is no threat. And, again, I think the board goes to great lengths to ensure they're not releasing people into society who present threats. So.
2: Well, uh, they can't always be exactly positive about the recidivism and, and repeat offenders. But that aside, a life sentence without parole or pardon, mandatory, convicted by a jury or a judge, that's, that's their sentence. That's punishment. That's the second part of it. You know, rehabilitation is one thing. But punishment for the crime is what they're serving for. And uh, if you listen to Kay, who tearfully told the story of how much input her family got to that board and what little impact it had on their decision, I just think when someone in the family speaks as she did,
5: that should have all the bearing on it. And it does a lot of times. It does. I can tell you from cases of women I've known, and and men I know, not directly, but through other other chaplains uh, who have, and they've been turned down for that reason because the victim was uh, the victim's family member was so adamant about that. So it's not a it's not an automatic by any means. Uh, again, I think this, but I, I think what the board tries to recognize as society and trying to represent both the victim and the person who's been incarcerated for a long time is to try to find some fairness that, that you know the, the sentencing process is. It, it, it is to keep society safe. It is punitive to a certain extent, but at some point, I believe we got to say, um, you know, give them give them a, a, another shot if they've if they've you know proven or they've shown that they're not they're, they're not violent. You know that this is a one-time event, and a lot of these people uh, are uh, th- that's been their only offense. And and again, I think if you check the statistics, what you find is not, not completely, but I think in the vast majority of cases, they never recidivate. So.
2: Well, the recidivism is secondary to me, the punishment and serving out their sentence, which was uh, legally done and in, in the case of a family contesting it, if you heard Kay on this station just a little while ago talk about it and her the, the victim the, the criminal that, that killed her family member is one of the ones that he pardoned. She was very adamant but only given 10 minutes in front of the pardon board. And in that case, they didn't turn it around. They granted, they gave it to the governor, and he signed off on it. And the board and the governor let this person back into society despite the feelings of the family of the victim.
5: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I I think the system failed in that particular case, and it makes do, me wonder about yeah. all these 39 other ones. How did they
5: go? Do you, the, do, do you know anybody who's been incarcerated for 20, 25, 30 years? And have you learned their story and seen the other side of this again? Because I think. I, again, I've seen both sides of it. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I, I, I don't, you know, but I think there are two sides to this, and I would encourage people uh, to have some experience, experience that I've had is learn, you know, talk to somebody who's been let mm-hmm. out, understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. I think that's important. They see both well, sides. I hope
2: people don't get the experience that I have, the perspective I have. I, I don't want them to have to go through that. But if they do, yeah. they'd have a different opinion. Tim, we we got to agree to disagree. Thank you so much for your call. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to John in Destrehan. Hey, John.
6: Yeah, I heard about this. I, talk, I listened to you about that swatting thing. Uh-huh. And I think we need to start getting better regulations on telephone numbers. And I don't know exactly how to do it because uh, – haven't done a study, but when you go to buy a burner phone at Walmart or whatever it is, you should have to give your ID, and the phone number is assigned to you. And therefore, when you go to do something to somebody on the telephone, the, uh, the phone can be used as a weapon. It is used as a weapon every day. And they call you for... Uh, charitable donations they call you for all kinds of garbage that you don't want and i want to know who you are that's calling me you're calling my number my number is you know i'll I'll give you my telephone number and i'll tell you who my, my name and i'll identify who i am and when i call you you can know who you're talking to and we need to get control over this this uh this vehicle of uh, crime that's, that has inundated our society.
2: And well, uh, how do you feel about that? Well, you're talking about two different aspects of uh, abusing phones. Uh, one is the aggravation, the inconvenience, and also a criminal threat of the one that's in your home. I mean, I have a, a landline, and it constantly gets calls all day long. It's robocalls. It's scams. It's all different types of things. And, you know, there is a do not call feature that the government operates, but it's so overwhelmed there's there's nothing can ever be done about that. The other part you're talking about is the use of it for criminal purposes, like the swatting thing, and those are used on those burner phones. And uh, I don't know, I, I guess they wouldn't be quite so popular if you had to do what you're suggesting and do some type of a registration or a tracing of who's actually using that phone and that number.
6: Yeah, wouldn't that stop a lot of the baloney?
2: Well, we, we could. We certainly could get rid of burner phones. If there was a movement to ban them, I guess that could happen. I got some people texting me talking about doing just that.
6: Well, I, I, I see no reason to have a burner phone. So what, what is your reason for having a burner phone? Well, maybe it, somebody it, that's it, listening
2: it, that uses burner phones uh, for legitimate purposes can call in or text and tell us because I don't understand why they're necessary either. Because okay. as you as well, said, they can be used as a weapon.
6: Right. So I, I see. I don't. Know, it's like an unregistered firearm. I am a. I believe in registered firearms. I own registered firearms. I use them for protection in case somebody comes and breaks into my home and starts shooting at me. Uh, so I have a registered firearm, but these phones. I want some protection about the scam that you're trying to tell me that my daughter's been taken and you need now okay I've been made aware of this but why did I have to be made aware why do I have to constantly update my database and my brain all the time because you've come up with a new way of committing a crime we can easily get rid of the burger phones you don't have to sit there and update your your database and your brain every month. And what if you don't watch the news and hear the latest scam? And a lot of them are very creative.
2: They are. They're and, very convincing. Uh,
6: you, you know, just very, very creative. So,
2: John, have uh, you ever gotten uh, any calls that uh, they're calls or they're scam calls, but they have a fake caller ID number that looks like a... A local number?
6: Yes, I get those, too. And you know what I do with those phones? Every time I get one of those, I go, oh, yeah, how you doing? And uh, what I do is I put them on speakerphone. Mm -hmm. And I go stick the thing over by the fireplace or I I put (laughs) it on uh, low, and I let it just play until they finally go away. (laughs) But I always go ahead and take the call and then just let it play on through because I figure it's their time they're wasting. Not Well, it was my time that I had to pick the dumb thing up. Mm-hmm. But now it's their time. They can waste doing whatever it is that they, the ridiculous thing that they do.
2: Well, I'm hoping and, we'll uh, get some uh, suggestions, some creative ways to deal with uh, scam phone calls and crank calls and that type of thing. I'm sure people have I, come I up love, with a lot.
6: I'd love some suggestions, dude, because <laughs> it is. It is a, it's know, all day I long. I'm sorry for senior the The big crime is on senior citizens. Because yeah. senior citizens, uh, you know, I'm going to be one one of these days. And, uh, you know, my dad, he calls me all the time. And I sit there and I go, Dad, you can't. And, he, and even though I tell him, you know, this is not anything to worry about, don't – you know what, I can't sit there and monitor my dad all day long.
2: Yeah, particularly seniors are very trusting uh, based on the past, and, and they often get duped into these scams. So you got to be very, very careful. And that's just phones. Don't get into social media. That's another whole thing. I found out a whole bunch of new scams going on uh, on social media.
6: Well, yes uh, – you know, that's what I'm talking about is putting the genie back in the bottle. Because the genie has gotten too too many wishes. The you know, three wishes is great, but now we're into like nine hundred and seventy six wishes and it's just unbelievable, man. And and senior citizens are really taking the brunt on this.
2: No doubt. Well, you know, yeah. every time I hear of a successful scam or somebody being scammed, then I think back to some of the good that this uh, these new this new technology has provided, as far as locating people and instant communication between family members. Uh, there's a lot of good uh, tucked in there with a lot of bad too. John, we got to go. Thanks uh, so much for your interesting call. Really appreciate it. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back. I'll get to you. Text messages and your calls, 504 260 Got a lot to talk about. Black bears and uh, governor pardoning murderers and uh, using uh, extra charges for credit card use and SWAT calls and burner phones. Love to hear from you. 504-260-1870 back.
7: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone
0: 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You better over here! Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
2: All right, we're going to get to your calls, Brian, William, Pierre, D. and I got a lot of text messages. I'm learning a lot about burner phones, but I did want to mention this about the, the Board of Pardons uh, here in Louisiana. Uh, here's the, they are First of all, they're appointed by the governor, who then gets to do the pardon on their recommendation, so that's kind of some home cooking there. But anyway, they're also subject to confirmation by the Louisiana Senate. There's five members. Uh, the Committee on Parole, which is a committee within the Board of Pardons, is composed of the five members of the Board of Pardons plus two at-large members appointed again by the governor. The at-large members serve only as members of the Committee on Parole and not as members of the Board of Pardons. Now, there's also the warden uh, where the person is in prison who also serves as a non-voting member, but he is there for information. Those members that are appointed by the governor have to have five years' experience in the fields of penology, corrections, law enforcement, sociology, law, education, social work, medicine, or a combination thereof. Those members are also required to complete a comprehensive orientation training program within 90 days of their appointment and eight hours of in-service training. Those training components include elements of the decision-making process through the use of evidence-based practices for determining the risk, needs, motivation to change, Dynamics of criminal victimization, security classifications of people in prison or under community supervision. A lot of training, a lot of qualifications, but one very important factor missing. How about uh, the ability to administer and adhere to fair punishment? And why shouldn't one of those members that's appointed be a surviving member of a victim of a crime? At least one or two of those members should be there to be able to serve on that board. The makeup of the board, I think, is, is is very slanted towards the rights of the criminal and not the survivors or the victims. All right, let's go uh, to,
1: was it Brian in Mid-City? Hey, Brian. Good afternoon. Uh, regarding burner phones, there's basically two different kinds. There's traditional cell phones that... Uh, you know function as the proverbial burner phone and there's but now you have uh, like for example like Google can give you a phone number Can give you a phone number in any area code you want okay to post as a phone number? And if you call the number typically someone won't it won't answer And they'll say the Google subscriber is not available. You leave a message That's typically a scam artist leaving a fake phone number that they will text back and forth with you on Or, okay, now this is what I think most burner phones and most of these Google numbers get used for, is people having extramarital affairs, okay? To to my knowledge, that's what a lot of those get used for. Now, regarding swatting, several years ago, like um, this was um, mid-2000s, while I was still in the reserves, I kind of got swatted by – a co-worker at a corporation. I can't say the name of the corporation because, as a condition of the of my lawsuit settlement, I can't uh, say who it is or what the amount was. But um, I wound up talking to uh, a sheriff's department. Uh, you know, a, a uniformed officer and two detectives for about four hours, which it probably would have been shorter if I hadn't just kept running my mouth. Okay, because I decided, well, if you're going to detained me and asked me all these questions and I'm going to get my, my, I'm going to get the taxpayer's dollars worth. And I talked their ears off. I gave them TMI about, about my, uh, you know, about NFL football and my, uh, my toy collecting hobby and all that stuff. I injected everything I could in there and just wore them down. And they kept facepalming every time I answered every one of their questions. And in the end, um, all they had was a very angry uh, very angry HR mm-hmm. and disciplinary action, uh, you know, sought for the person who did it, which they never found. They never found out who did it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, be- yeah. thank you. because I wound up filing suit Behind it, because it, you know, was an an employee. I wound up not working. It was also another condition of the settlement was that I, you know, that I quit.
2: Mm -hmm. Brian, Um, I want to get back to the phone. You sound like you you know a lot about a little about burner phones. Are they traceable? The calls, and also, uh, you know, the phones ping when they pick up when they drive, and a lot of times that's used in solving criminal cases to find out their movements because they had their phone on, and they'll ping at a okay. certain time in a certain location, and they can tie that back to their location at the time of
1: crimes. Are those phones
2: subject yeah, they, to they can.
1: They, they can be tracked by law enforcement, yes, very, very much so. Unfortunately, the person who's getting scammed is probably going to be SOL. Uh, I've maintained a burner phone. That's because I was a moderator at a website that had foreign scammers. Uh, you know, put put classified ads up, and what I did was I played. I used my burner phone to play games with the scammers, hmm. and harass them, and wear you know wear them out, and and it was a lot of fun. It got it got tiring though eventually, and eventually another moderator took over my duties. Uh, you know, on that site, oh. but uh, here the uh, and chances are they're only going to text back and forth up a phone and talk to you mm-hmm. because if you, if they pick up the phone and talk to you the skin you're gonna you're gonna be talking to someone who speaks english as a second language so then you'll figure them out immediately you know when you hear someone with a east indian accent or russian accent uh for you know for example or you know, a nigerian somebody, accent
2: you know uh, brian somebody could probably make a pretty good living by forming a business on on dealing with scammers You know, just how to be safe from scammers on social media, on burner phones, on telephones, and all the other ways. You know, I think that would be a course you could offer and uh, probably do pretty well with it. Thanks for the call, Brian. i got to move into a break. We'll be right back after this, and we'll wrap it up, find out what Scoot's got coming up on the Scoot Show, and maybe sneak a call or a text in, 504-260-1870. Don Dubuque filling in for Newell Norman on the Newell Norman Show right here on the Big H70, WWL. All right, welcome into the uh, closing minutes of the Friday afternoon Newell Norman Show. I'm Don Dubuque filling in. Thank you to all of you who called and uh, texted in. It's been a very lively show, and uh, thank you for making it that way. Uh, I'll be back in exactly uh, probably 17, let's see, 15 hours and 53 minutes with the outdoor show. We do that every Saturday from 5 to 7 a.m., and hope you'll tune us in for that as you're heading out to the fishing hole or the hunting camp or the blind. We'd love to hear from you on Saturday mornings also. Alright, uh, let me see. Getting back to uh, some of the text we've got here, I'm learning a lot about these uh, burner phones. And of course, some people say that there is a practical use to them. Uh, it's just like any other phone. It's better than having no phone at all. It's cheaper. You don't have the commitments to make. And in some cases, it doesn't track your numbers. So I guess from that standpoint, it's a good thing, but like anything else, good things can be abused and used for scams and criminal purposes and all that type of stuff. No matter how good something is and it's made for a good purpose, there's always someone out there that finds a way to turn it around and make it something that is illegal. All right, we got Scoot coming up. Uh, he's going to have a free for all Friday. He does it every Friday. Let's see what he's got coming up today. Yeah, hey, well, Scoot, how you, know, you doing?
7: We, we don't ever, t- I'm good. We don't really take anything uh, too seriously on a Friday. Not not that we take things seriously on any other day, but especially on a, on a Friday. So, you know, there's Mardi Gras activity uh, cranking up this weekend. Um, the NFL divisional uh, playoffs are this weekend. The Pelicans are hot. They're playing tonight. And let's see what else. Um, There's a, there's a survey out about people who are thriving and people who are not thriving. And it seems like party affiliation has something to do with whether or not you feel like you're thriving in any particular year. Those uh, Republicans who don't have a, a president in the White House have a more difficult time thriving. Democrats have an easier time thriving when there's a Democrat in the White House and Republicans when there's a Republican in the White House. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. And we've got uh, you know great bumper music plan for uh, Friday afternoon. And you know these Boil water advisories that are going on because of the freeze, man, that is so inconvenient to to do that. I think you you take for granted that we've got fresh water all the time.
2: The basis of life, water for sure. Yeah, it it's it like is. You, you got a lot to cover and a lot of calls to take, so we're going to let you get ready for that, Scoot. Thanks so much. All right, right Don. Have a good weekend. Tell us all about free all for off Friday. You do the same. All right, that Scoot coming up right after the top of the hour news. Again, thanks for tuning in. Uh, giving me the opportunity to talk with you. and learned a lot. Hopefully you did too, and hopefully you were entertained. That's our intention. I'll be back again uh, from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. every Saturday morning. Check us out. we got a great show, got a lot of loyal listeners, got a field staff of professionals to help you locate fish and game, where to find them, some of the tactics they use, and we also have a little bit of fun. That's what it's all about. All right, thanks again for joining us. Scooters next. I'm Don Dubuque, Infineal Norman, right here on the Big H70.